This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer. We've almost made it out of the international break now, so we're bringing back the big guns. Paul Gorse and Theo Suarez are here to talk legends of all shapes and sizes, in some cases quite literally, as well as a few future recruits. So, Paul, he's back. Um, You've not been on any warm weather training, have you? You just had a, a well-deserved bit of rest and relaxation this week. Yeah, no warm weather training. Um, I haven't been on a podcast actually since since Madrid. Um, so yeah. it's good to get back on and I'm sure we'll think of things to talk about. There's not a lot going on at the moment, is there? But I know you used to be there at the Legends game at the weekend, so get stuck into that a little bit. Seen a bit of it, not loads of it, but seen Stephen Gerrard stick away a penalty. And I'm sure we'll find uh, another... England international central midfielder to talk about as well. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's crack on, I guess. I'm sure we will. And, and one man who's trained right throughout the international break is Theo Squires. Theo, our legends correspondent. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. A uh, bit tired after a busy weekend. Man in the fort with Gorsty enjoying his holidays. But uh, counting down to City now, aren't we? So, we'll stick with you, Theo, because... Um, you and I were both at that Legends game. It was a, it was a good occasion at Anfield. I couldn't quite believe how many fans Celtic brought with them. Um, just to, let's start with what did you make of it? Did you enjoy it? Um, any highlights from from it? What do you reckon? Uh, I think it was a, a better quality game than some of the ones we've had. Like John Barnes said it post match that when he was playing his latter Legends games, while they were bigger names, the quality was dropping off a little bit. And I think the, the Barcelona one was like, that was only 12 months ago, wasn't it? There wasn't quite the quality in that because it was that first one after lockdown. So what have Liverpool Legends done since then? They've just gone on a, a massive recruitment drive and brought in a, a load of younger faces. And we're starting to see some of them now. It was, it was a bit slower than what you'd expect for a competitive game, obviously. But it was fiery. There were some real tackles flying in. Uh, Celtic fans especially made it a good atmosphere. And there were some bits of quality too. Like some of those players, like we say at every Legends game, they could still play a bit, couldn't they? Like um, Ragnar Klavan, who's obviously the standout. We've got an exclusive chat with him uh, coming out on the Echo tomorrow. But he last played professionally, I think, four or five months ago. Uh, he very much looks like he could still play. I'd love to see his heat map from this game because he started at like centre-back, didn't he? But then he ended up being a bit box-to-box, roaming left winger. He was all over the place. And then second half, Gibral Cissé. Like every so often he comes out with these quotes, doesn't he? Oh, I want to come out of retirement. Please, one Liga club, come and sign me so I can get 100 Liga goals. He's still got a bit in him as well. He's like certainly in shape. He's uh, quick as ever. He played a, a few good passes, a few good crosses, set up Gonzalez's goal. It's just good to see some of these players back. Then at the other end of the scale, we've got uh, Charlie Adam, which I'm sure you, you might want to take your take on as well. He doesn't look like a player who retired only a few months ago, let me say that. Yeah, he um, certainly looks like he's he's been on talk sport a bit too much and um, yeah, <laughs> didn't exactly look his, his best. Mark Gonzalez is a player you mentioned there who I think, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, Liverpool had to wait for nearly a year or maybe even two years to sign him for where permit reasons and being really excited about him, um, about Liverpool getting that one over the line. And and then I think he scored in his debut in, in the Champions League qualifier against Maccabee Haifa. I'm not going to remember. I remember thinking at the time, you know, they've got a real player here. It's going to take the Premier League by storm. That obviously didn't happen, but he's now uh, finally fulfilling that potential. Uh, um, you know, in his mid to late 30s, playing for the Legends team because he, he looks like a tidy player. Gorsi, 
you said you didn't catch much of it, but um, Gerard came in for some stick. Did you did you catch any of that? Yeah, I see seen that. I mean, um, shouldn't really be surprised, should we, with his with his Rangers connections? But um, yeah, you were you're right about Celtic fans. He did they come down in in great numbers, didn't he? Um, yeah. Packed out the Anfield Road and gave Gerard all kinds of stick and part of the course, isn't it? When when the Rangers and Celtic are, are kind of involved in the mix, so. Good to see him stick that penalty away and kind of give a little bit of a back. Um, I'm sure he enjoyed that, but I'm sure the the fans just enjoyed giving him stick as well. It was um, a little bit of a pantomime element to it, wasn't it, which you don't really yeah. get with the Legends games. They're normally very family-friendly afternoons, and, and that's what they're all about. But this was a, a little bit different, as Theo says, given the, the, that kind of connection. There wasn't necessarily one where... It's full of names you, you, you remember growing up and you used to idolise and whatever. It was more just who could we cobble together who, who hasn't actually been retired that, that long. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good to see Clavan back as well. He, he's obviously a bit of a cult hero, isn't he, for, for what he did for Liverpool during his, his you know, two or three years or whatever it was. But yeah, I, I, I like these, these Legends games. It always, always gives you a chance just to see one or two kind of blasts from the past. And like you were saying, you were saying it on Saturday, weren't you, about Gonzalez? You know, he looks like he could he could still play. Um, yeah, yeah, there's one or two. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange Liverpool career, didn't he? Because it seemed like they were waiting ages for him to show up, and then when when they finally did, the loads expected of him and never really happened for him. But um, good season on the the legend circuit now, um, and I suppose it's just going to be a case of continuing on these games. I think the one last year raised a million pound, and for the LFC Foundation, probably maybe a little bit less given. But it was Celtic and not Barcelona for this one. But all going to a good cause and a great day out for everyone who went, I'm sure. Yeah, in the nicest possible good. way. I do hope Mark Gonzalez doesn't score in the next Legends game because he's got, what, four goals and three of these now and Liverpool bring him out after everyone. There's only so many questions we can ask him. We need some of the other players to take the weight off his shoulders and come out and uh, do media duties instead of him after these matches. I love how you keep, you're keeping your, your historical records of... Of charity games. <laughs> well, they played four in the past year. It's quite easy to keep track of them. <laughs> but they're great occasions, aren't they? And I, and I think, you know, it feels a bit strange to start a podcast talking all about the, the Legends game. But, you know, when I was growing up, it would be Masters football and, you know, you could go and watch the Masters. But this just feels a little bit more, a little bit more fun. You know, there was, there was a bit more needle for this one, wasn't there, Theo, than, than, than recent ones. Celtic bringing so many supporters, obviously, you know, Probably wasn't great that they threw a few things at Steven Gerrard, but in general, I think the, the day was was very nice. You know, there was a lot of Celtic supporters sitting. In. I was in uh, the centenary stand. There was a lot of Celtic supporters around as the people mixed people mixed in, and it just felt like a good occasion, didn't it? And a more com- competitive game than perhaps what we're used to. Yeah, it did. I think uh, there must have been Celtic fans in every stand because there was uh, some in the cop that the Gerrard was giving stick to before he was taking a corner there were certainly some in front of us in the press box in the main stand so that's all four corners ticks i know the day before the game didn't they say they were sending four thousand fans when the post-match they were saying five thousand so you'd imagine that might be a little bit more as well but you you do want a bit of an atmosphere in these games like if the fans can create a good atmosphere give something the players something to go off and it can really add to this feel-good factor it always helps when it's these two sides for example because you can have a great rendition of you'll never walk alone between Oh, home and away fans, and that's what we got. And 
weather was good for it, some great players out playing yeah. football, and then the ones who aren't so great but can still run a bit. There were, there were a few players who went off injured early on, weren't there? But for the majority, they kept going until the end. I think um, tackles as well, isn't there? I mean, yeah, Garcia, have you seen, yeah, Garcia with Petrov. Um, it's just reigniting old rivalries, isn't it? Like There was a, a sign of it in the last Legends game against United because United brought in Roy Keane, didn't they? And that was because they thought, oh, we need something to add a bit more spice to it. But he was obviously a late call-up and you got a few boos. This one was a bit different when all Celtic fans, they can boo Steven Gerrard, they can boo Charlie Adam, Gary McAllister, Gregory Vignal. And Liverpool fans were just trying their hardest to drown them out and make sure Gerrard felt the love. But yeah, when you got Celtic fans making themselves the herd to that extent, it made it a little bit more special compared to some charity games that we've seen in the past. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, just one final note. The the the, the, uh, the Legends game. I I took my lad for the first time. He's, he's four, so it was the first time I've ever taken him to football. And, you know, if you, I think if, if anyone's listening who, who does have kids, I think it's a great chance to take to take your children to the match for the first time. I mean, I, you know, I'm always a bit wary. He's very young. He doesn't really. He's not going to sit through ninety minutes. But we got some t- tickets right near the exit, so I could get up and down with him. Which trust me, the guy sitting next to us must have got a little bit annoyed that we were up and down, up and down throughout the first half, and a little bit less in the second half. But yeah, I mean, it's a great occasion, really nicely presented from Liverpool. You know, the the rivalry with Celtic was good. You'll never walk away was great. It was great to watch him, you know, sort of enjoying that and looking around and being sort of amazed by the amount of people in the stadium. And it was lovely, you know. And I, I think it's great that the club put them on because they're for a good cause couple of times a year and they give you people a chance to go to Anfield you might not get there so um, really nice we did miss the first goal because he was down in the toilet trying to have a number two there you go so um, yeah um, so he missed the penalty but we saw Mark Gonzalez score and he was pretty happy with that so um, it was a successful afternoon all round but we'll move on from legends now um, and we'll talk about some players who could become legends one or two of them um, talk about some of the players who set to depart Anfield of course we haven't Heard from you for a little while, so you can you can take it away. But for me, you know, um, and I know you, you've got a big piece planned on him. Um, he's obviously leaving. Um, Oxide Chamberlain, Cater, um, Adrian, and Milner are also out of contract. Um, with two of them almost certain to leave, and the other two possibly. So, is there any of them that you potentially keep? And um, and if you would, why? And then the others, you know, just sort of give us an assessment of their time at Anfield, some highs, some lows. And um, yeah, what to expect this summer? Uh, no, I, I I don't think that, I don't think I'd keep any of them to be honest. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think now I think Liverpool have kind of passed by. Certainly, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, there'll always be that question: well, that if, if he hadn't got injured against Roma in twenty eighteen, what might become of him as a Liverpool player? Because he was absolutely flying, probably in the best form of his career at the time when he got that injury. You know, thriving as a kind of central. Attacking midfielder once Coutinho had left, um, but he got that injury. Hasn't really been the same player since, has he? And he's he still contributed at, at times. Obviously, played a big role in the the run to um, to the Carabao Cup final last season, and, and to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent the FA Cup final. But I think now it's a, it's a, the right time for him to maybe move on, maybe somewhere a little bit further down the pecking order where he can be playing more regularly. Um, and Cater as well, if, you know, I think he might go down as the big kind of what if of certainly of, of the year in Klopp era. But um, 
it's just a shame that it hasn't quite worked out for Abicator, has it? Um, he still, he's still got his supporters, and, and he, I guess he always will, but he hasn't quite been the player that Liverpool thought they were getting all those years ago. And you no, know, most of it probably not his fault. Maybe some of it is a little bit, but um, I think now it probably seems like the right time for him to move on. Um, and Liverpool looking at kind of refreshing that midfield area. You know, getting rid of those two means that they're, they're going to have to do something, even if everyone else was fit and firing and, and in the form of the lives, they'd still have to do something. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, this summer in terms of what Liverpool can do, what they're able to do. Because um, at the moment, everything's all up in the air, isn't it? We know that they're not certain of qualifying for the Champions League, which hasn't really been the case for the last four years. Um, so that's a little bit of a, an added bit of pressure for the recruitment team. Um if you don't get in the Champions League, what kind of budgets are they going to have? What kind of, you know, how attractive do they look for potential players coming in? So um, a lot of spinning plates at the moment, but, you know, looking at players who are out of contract, I think maybe, I think Klopp's spoken before about James Milner, but other than that, I, I can't really see anyone staying on beyond beyond the season now. And Katie w- would be the, the kind of, the real lamentable one, I guess. That's, that's just... Talk through them, Theo. We'll start with Oxide Chamberlain because, um, as Gorsi mentioned there, you know, the, the, the injury against Roma felt like, oh, oh, you can't call it the turning point because it was so early on in his career, but it, it felt like something that really stopped his, his progress at Liverpool in its tracks. You know, he was starting to, to have a good place in the team there, wasn't he? In that front, uh, sorry, that middle three. Um, gave Liverpool's midfield an element that they didn't seem to have, um, was finding his range as well, scoring wise. Um, how do you assess his time at Anfield? You know, is it is it a case of wasted talent, or is he is he a type of player who served his purpose? Liverpool should be quite happy with what they got from him, that sort of thing. Um, it's a mixture of the two, isn't it? Really, like when they signed him, thirty-five million, forty million with add-ons, it seemed a bit steep for a player who was going to be out of contract in a, um, a year's time. But he was still a young player who ticked a lot of boxes, homegrown, versatile, and it's perhaps overlooked a little bit that he was another one like Fabinho or Robertson who took a little while to get used to what Klopp wanted from his players. But then once he got going, we saw a real player in midfield. Just like you think, um, was it the City 4-3, that January game? That was yeah. like the first always burst into life here. And then Liverpool got a really good three or four months out of him before he had that injury. And then it just seemed once he got back a year later, whenever he was about to hit a runner form, he'd get another injury or something. Like mm-hmm. um, there was a hamstring injury in pre-season uh, last year. I think there was one would there have been just after the title winning year. But he still always seems to pop up with goals or assists. Like for a player who hasn't played that much last couple of years, uh, he scored against Brentford, didn't he, in January. He scored a few last January when Salah and Mane were at the Cup of Nations. Um, I think there's this one video he did at the club where he pointed out he was actually like the third, fourth leading goal scorer in the title winning year. He was like close to double figures or something. I always remember the outside of the foot one against Genk. Like he always popped up with goals and he just seems like a really likeable player. Like likeable players who are good for uh, the team morale and the senior heads. They don't always have to be the first choice players. Like we've seen the likes of Lucas Laver or Daniel Sturridge who have been important doing that side of things. And I think Oxlade Chamberlain's the same. He has been unfortunate with injury and then as Liverpool go and challenge for a quadruple last year, they sort of outgrew him the same way they perhaps had with Adam Lallana when he was having his injury problems a couple of years earlier. But then Oxford Chamberlain, he's still the right side of 30, more or less. So it's like it's a good time for him to go and 
prove he can still do it elsewhere. Like you look at some of the teams he's been linked with, it's as high as like Newcastle United, like Villa are in there. Um, there's a few other like you know mid-table sides in Premier League or pushing for European places. He could get a good move, and if he stays clear of injury, uh, he's not going to be a player you regret leaving. But maybe he'll do something similar to what Adam Lallana is doing now at Brighton. We go, yeah. Give him a warm reception when he comes back. Great to see you playing football and enjoy it again and showing how important and how good you are. But Liverpool just outgrew you slightly. And after all those years with injuries and squad status, go and be a starter somewhere else. Do Liverpool need more of those types of players, Gorsi? I mean, he, as, as Theo's just mentioned, you know, he obviously was a, a fairly regular goal scorer in terms of a backup player. Tick the box in terms of him being um, homegrown, um, which I'm sure... Um, like you, Theo, and and you know he seems to serve his purposes around the fringes of the squad. Um, is that something Liverpool have struggled with a little bit this year? I think so, but I think that's that's probably just been because of the the, the volume of injuries that they've got. You know, when you you haven't got say, for example, you know Thiago's going off injured against Fulham in the first week of the season, first game of the season, and then you, it's just a bit of a, a knock-on effect from that, really, isn't it? So it's. It's 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 a difficult one because you know with regards to Alex Oxley Chamberlain specifically, like Theo says, he's come in and he's done exactly what's been needed of him in terms of you know I mentioned the cup runs there last season. That is exactly what Alex Oxley Chamberlain is in that Liverpool squad for to to alleviate the amount of minutes in the legs of the more established players, if you like, and and he did come in and. Certainly did the job when Salah and Mane were in the Africa Cup of Nations. I think he scored against Palestine. He scored against uh, Brentford at home, was it? Um, he, he did a he did a really decent job, to be fair. But he's not someone who, when when you put them in there when other players are fit and it's a bit of a head scratcher, and, and you think, well, he's probably only going to be reserved for you know cup games and injury crises. So. Um, yeah, in terms of him being a squad player, he's, he's, he's perfectly fine for me. But I think now, like Theo says, he's, he's edging towards 30, his contract's up. He's probably looking at it from a personal point of view, thinking he wants to be playing. Um, it, you know, There were some quotes from him quite recently where he said he wants he wants his little boy to be able to, to see him playing you know, in the Premier League. So I think, I think he's maybe coming up towards one as his little boy. So you know, if he's still playing in the Premier League and he's 34, 35... Then that will be, you know, the kind of box ticked on that score. So I think maybe from a selfish point of view, he's thinking uh, he can go and be playing regularly a little bit further down the, the pecking order. And, and I'm sure there are going to be teams who are, who are queuing up for him, really, given his experience and his ability. If they can keep him fit and he's playing, you know, as I say, a little bit further down the league, then someone's going to get themselves a very good player. But like Theo says, I think maybe uh, Liverpool have sort of outgrown. The likes of, of Oxley Chamberlain, but um, I mean, there's no no getting away from it. Is that Liverpool are going to have to do something quite significant this summer, certainly in the midfield area, and it's going to be fascinating, really, to see how they approach it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, sticking with you, Gorsley, let's move on to Naby Keita. Then um, you mentioned briefly before. Look, you know, he gets. Um, Let's just say he gets people a bit riled up, Naby Keita. So I, I, I want to pick my words carefully. But I think, is it fair to say that he is the biggest disappointment in recent Liverpool history? I mean, and I don't mean that in the sense that he's been awful, because I, I don't think that's true. But certainly the injury problems, um, 
of stunted his progress. And then at times, I think especially this season when you were really hoping that he would he would make a sort of final a final pitch for his Liverpool career. It just hasn't happened. In fact, it's probably gone the other way and he's he's probably put in his some of his poorest performances. So what what do you make of him? You know, I, there was a lot of excitement when he joined. Fifty three million, which wasn't far off a club record at the time. Um he certainly was a club record for a midfielder. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget him being called a hybrid of Xavi and, yeah. and Golo Kante, which okay was, was probably a little bit overdone at the time, but still it, it spoke to how highly he was thought of, wasn't he, as, as, a, as a player coming from the Bundesliga. Yeah, well, if Liverpool would have got Navigator when they initially wanted them, he would have been a club record signer, wouldn't he? It was only the yeah. fact that they couldn't get him until 2018. The Van Dyke came in for a bit more and and then Alisson was, was a little bit more as well. So, you know, he was still third on that list until Nunes, is that right? Um, yeah. Until the summer. So, yeah, I think I think when you when you do weigh it up like that, I think you have to to put it down as as a, a transfer that hasn't hasn't worked. You know, we'll walk away from Liverpool this summer saying, well, you know, look, we won everything while I was there, and, and fair play to him. That is absolutely true. Just whether he was a driving force of the teams that, that won those titles in the same way Van Dijk was or an Allison or, or even Fabinho who obviously came in around the same time as him I'd argue not um, but but then again on the on the flip side you, you just kind of forget little things with Navigator that there's this well-worn narrative that he's always always injured and, and that is is true to an extent but then you know you know we started the Carabao Cup final last season didn't he he, he was there playing Probably the high point of Liverpool season last year when when he beat Man City in the FA Cup semi final in terms of you know performance and all that. He 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 started that alongside Thiago and Fabinho. Started at Barcelona in the, in the Champions League semi final. Had to come off injured. There are these little moments with Cater that you've, you've kind of forgotten about just because of the, the the narrative is that he hasn't always been quite fit. And as I say that that is true to an extent. Um, I suppose the biggest. The, the, the saddest thing of it all for me now is the current injury he's got. We don't even know what it is. We've just been told it's a knock. And you see Kate is not in the squad and you find out it's a knock and there's a bit of a collective shrug. Kind of, well, that's just a, you know, navigator with another injury. Let's move on. Let's not worry about it. He's, he's into the final few weeks of his contract. And I, I remember writing the piece in, in December when I was in Dubai. He, he would just come back into training. It looked like he was going to get back into the team and really. You know, put forward a bit of a a marker for the final few months of his career. You know, if he wanted to stay as a Liverpool player, mm-hmm. now it's time to to show it and prove it and show that you deserve to have your new contract. And he's just going going with a whimper, isn't he? And and that's for all the kind of big money signings that, that Liverpool have made. You have to say that the fact that he's kind of bowing out in the manner that he is is you have to put it down as a you know a. a um, I don't, I don't want to sound too harsh, but you know it's probably the one that hasn't worked. As if for all the kind of praise that we've given the Liverpool over transfers over the last five years. Yeah, I mean it's more so the perhaps unrealistic expectation placed on him, isn't it, Theo? Do you know? Do you know who he reminds me of? Not in in playing style, but perhaps in the way his Liverpool career has panned out. A little bit of Harry Kewell in the sense that Harry Kewell scored some quite big goals that are quite easy to forget. Lovely volley against Spurs. You know, he scored in his first derby, didn't he? he? He played quite regularly for Liverpool in a period in which they, they did win trophies. You know, obviously people remember him going off injured in a couple of finals, but in general he did play his part. 
but the, there was always this feeling, wasn't there, that Harry Kuehl should and could have achieved more at Liverpool. Do, do you think that's fair to say about Naby Keita? I thought you were going to compare him to Mark Gonzalez there and properly oh, link yeah. up to the legend status. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's fair. Like, there are so many sliding doors moments with Naby Keita where it's just not gone his way. Like As Gorsty mentions, he comes off injured in that 3-0 defeat in Camp Nou to Barcelona and he's out for the rest of the season. He was due to start the, the European Super Cup final, gets injured the day before in the, the training session. Um, I think he puts in one of his performances of his Liverpool career at Old Trafford in the 5-0 victory, but he still ends up limping off. Um, Liverpool have all these injuries stacking up at the start of this season. You think, right, go to Old Trafford, go and make it your own, go and show you what you can do. And was that the one where he's picked up the big injury that they didn't really divulge at the time? There's so many moments like this littered throughout his Liverpool career. And it's one where, if you want to call highlight of his Liverpool career, the goal that we will remember Naby for, it's one that none of us were there to see apart from Gorsty. And it was one where the league was already wrapped up. It's that, that screamer he scored against Chelsea on the day or the night they lifted the Premier League title. And it's like, that is the biggest moment Liverpool's Premier League history. But there's still that little caveat to it that, well, there's no fans. They'd already won it weeks in advance. It's not quite as important as it should be or as decisive as it should be, I should say. I think Cato's always not destined to fail, but he was set up for a fall. Like he was hyped up so much because they'd agreed it a year before, because Klopp had talked him up so much. Like Liverpool fans had a year watching Bundesliga highlights, watching these YouTube reels, um, all this talk about oh, his hybrid of Kante, Xavi, and think we're going to get this world-class sensational player. Then he goes and gets Gerrard's number eight shirt and you has a really good pre-season. I think he had a really good debut against West Ham. and then He was it, great in his debut. I remember his debut, yeah. But like, after all that hype, you think, well, what if some of these other Liverpool signings had had that situation instead and he'd come under, come in under the radar? So I always say, like, Genie Wijnaldum, Liverpool sign him from Newcastle United and he's had a reasonable season as with Newcastle. He scored, I think, double figures for them, but it was still a shrug of the shoulders. You sign in a £25 million midfielder who you expected to be a squad player from a relegated side. If Liverpool got him from, I don't know, a Dutch side or a German side, and he'd had a few years of scoring goal after goal, and you've seen all these YouTube reels, and he looks sensational, and then you sign him to wait a year from him, he gets hyped up to this incredible amount, instead of just the shrug of the shoulders, because you've seen him up close in the Premier League. Whereas Cater, you thought you were getting a superstar, and it was a, a narrative he was never going to be able to fulfil, even without the injuries. Like, let's be honest, you're picking him up to be this player, it can be Xavi, Kante, Gerrard, you're expecting him to be one of the greatest midfielders in Premier League history. The injuries happen. Maybe he's not quite physical enough for the Premier League or something not quite right that's working there behind the scenes. Like Injuries just keep coming. And you think of Daniel Sturridge, you know, the mentality with the injuries, you're scared of getting another one. There have been times when you want you turn to Cato, you want him to step up and make that difference, and he's let you down. Like The Real Madrid away game in the pandemic year is always going to be the big one. I don't think he played again after being subbed off just before halftime that season. And it was almost a surprise when he went and had the, the season of his career last year. Liverpool spent a considerable amount of money on him, expecting him to be this first-choice star. If he'd come in and you'd expected him to be a squad player, like Oxley chamberlain or Cater, then he's exceeded expectations. He's won everything. Instead, he's just fallen that little bit short of what you wanted. And with the way he's going out now on a whimper, where he's not even getting off the bench against sides because of how poor he was against Palace and got Oxlade chamberlain coming on ahead of him at the Bernabeu. It's just given that overall final feeling, isn't it? Like if he'd gone on out or high, you could at least say he wasn't as much of a disappointment. But the way he's going out, it just sums up his whole Liverpool career and makes it a bit more negative.
it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, is it a bit of, go say, a bit of a cautionary tale in the sense that Theo's there sitting there saying there's a bit a lot of hype coming from the Bundesliga, Gerard's number, comparisons with big players, social media frenzy for his signing, a sort of long wait for his signing. Does that remind you of anything that's going on at the moment? <laughs> yeah, the, there, there are plenty of similarities. To be fair, isn't there? When you when you sum it up like that, I've, I've never thought of it like that. Um, but the, yeah, like Theo says, that that wait for for Kate did did him absolutely no favors at all, did it? Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool actually had three bids rejected in the in the summer of twenty seventeen for Kate before yeah. they eventually kind of made the breakthrough with a bit of an unusual one. I can't think of anything similar in, in Liverpool's certainly recent history where they kind of agreed. A fee, especially that scale. for that amount as well. I mean, yeah, that, that, well, yeah, you never yeah. see that happen, do you? Really, sliding scale of a fee, wasn't it? Based on where Leipzig finished yeah. that, that season, yeah. um, so they ended up paying was it 52 53 million pounds for him. And you know, a player coming in like that that summer, you, you, you're excited, excited about that, especially when he takes the number eight and he's going to be a central yeah. midfielder. And but I haven't wait a year for him, you know, keeping a close eye on Leipzig games and. Hearing the kind of ribs and drabs through social media clips and whatever else, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what he could have done to to be a success, really, given the 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 pressure that or the expectation that he was under as soon as he come in. He, he started superb, didn't he? That remember that game against West Ham and the game against Palace a couple of couple of games later. I remember that that great mm-hmm. turn from Allison's pass and then the, the pass to Salah. It was like. Wow, you know what kind of player Liverpool got here, but just never re- quite really worked out. Even though he'll walk away with with those winners' medals, and he'll say that he was a success. So it's, uh, I suppose, he'll always be one that will always divide opinion. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, well, before we talk about Bellingham, because I'm sure we will come to him shortly, but I wanted to quickly touch on on James Milner. He's a player that. Theo, that Jurgen Klopp has made no secret of the fact that you'd like to keep him for a little bit longer. Seems to be, he seems to be like the rolling contract for Liverpool's squad, doesn't he? Now they just seem to pick it up every year. But um, you wrote a piece yesterday saying that the, that they should keep him for a bit longer. Um, perhaps Charlie Adam might have influenced your, your, your thoughts on that. But, <laughs> Maybe a little but, bit. Yeah, but you know, do you think there's still a use for him? Yeah, I do. Like, um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I wrote it in the piece. There's only a handful of players who have uh, featured more for Liverpool this season. And he doesn't let you down. He's versatile and he's this vital leader off the pitch. Klopp said it himself. He is not a normal 37-year-old. You can't judge him on his age. Like, we talk about Mohamed Salah being able to go and do what Messi, Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic have been able to do, playing into that high level until the late 30s. Well, James Milner's doing this. He's a perfect example. He's the perfect role model. Granted, you should never be put in a situation where you need him in a midfield two at the Bernabeu in a game where you've got to score three or four goals. But that isn't why you keep him in the squad. You keep him in the squad as your vice captain who's offering this experienced head who can uh, guide the like the younger players and he can just come on and see out games. He's very... You've missed one there, Theo. You haven't said the homegrown word, so I thought you would have... It's homegrown. Yeah. You want to throw that in there. Yeah. And I think people do think he's on silly wages because when he came in, it was essentially not like for like or Steven Gerrard replacement, but he benefited from as a free transfer, he got a hefty wage because Gerrard had just gone, but he's had a, a deduction last year. If not one sooner, he's not on those terms anymore. He is just there as a squad player. 
and uh, let's see if Gorsty's as shocked as we were yesterday. Charlie Adams only three weeks older than James Milner. It's like mental, isn't it? Like that's how no, good. I've seen seen that piece yesterday. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, James <laughs> elite level and having this impact at Liverpool. It's a reason to keep him there. Like, if he was playing for someone else and he was playing every week, maybe he would be finishing up a little bit earlier. But when it's just 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, captain in the cup games, he's there for a reason. Klopp said they don't know they know who's leaving. They're going to need a fair few midfielders in this revamp. Rather than giving themselves that extra little bit to do, why not keep someone who's already a squad player who can do the Oxlade Chamberlain role, who can already do the James Milner role, and you know he can pull in at fullback. He's ticking all these boxes here, and it just saves you one bit of business you have to do. But there will be a time when his legs go, when once and for all, you can't just keep giving him these year extensions. But at the moment, he isn't showing these signs of slowing down to the extent that he can't be this squad player. Just playing devil's advocate here, Gorsi, you know, all, all of Theo's points, are, I think, are spot on. Is the flip side of that that perhaps holding on to James Milner for another year perhaps will mean that Klopp isn't as tempted to use, say, Curtis Jones or, or Tyler Morton, other younger homegrown players and who could potentially sneak into the squad and get a few more appearances under their belt in the absence of a James Miller? Possibly. Possibly. I think I think people see it differently in terms of people see Milner staying on for a year and you think that automatically means that they're not going to be looking to, to bring anyone in, which isn't necessarily the case. Um, but you know, I totally agree with Theo in terms of Milner being a very dependable squad player for the cup games and for 20 minutes here or there, or for maybe filming at right back when he has to. But when you're seeing him starting in the Bernabeu, you know, in the yeah. Champions League, and you know, and the Bunny three goals, it's not an indictment on Milner, it's more of a um, it just sums up the, the lack of forward thinking that was in the. The recruitment department, I guess, last summer. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a good point. With what's well now, 37, 38 in January. Um, he did take a reduced salary when he signed that new contract last season. Uh, not too sure of the specifics of that, but I think he might, he might have been certainly in the, in the one, 120 brackets when he signed in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess he'd be well under 100 when he took that reduction. Um, so, I mean, that, that helps Liverpool because, you know, the wage budget is very much stretched to the, to the outer limits, isn't it? That, that's, that's partly one of the reasons why I think they're not quite as as prolific in the, in the transfer markets, I think, because of the, the wage budget as opposed to the, the amount of money they've got available for, for transfer fees. Um, but, yeah, I, I suppose there is a, a school of thought that says that, you know, if, you, if you've got Milner for another year, then you're not bringing through the likes of a Tyler Morton or certainly a Curtis Jones who... So we've given a bit of a reminder of his talent to me with England under 21s. We haven't seen him at all this season, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a, another interesting point that I've not really thought of it like that. I tend to think when you're talking about keeping James Muller on for another year, it's because or it kind of negates the, the need to bring players in, which I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose the one thing you could say is that standards on the training ground, it's not going to hurt a, a young lad like Tyler Morton to see James Milner and what he's doing um, on the training ground. Um, and he, he knows all about how Klopp wants to play his football and tactics, that sort of thing. I'm sure he can I'm sure he can have an influence there. Um, all right, well, we can't avoid the uh, the topic of Bellingham for this long, so we've got 10 minutes to go. Let's let's dig in. I mean, I, 
Theo, we'll start with you. Have you ever seen Liverpool so openly flirt with a player in in history? Since, like more than they do with Jude Bellingham. I mean, it, you know, you've got sort of every player, every English player in the in the squad being constantly pictured with him, interacting with him on social media, seemingly like closest to him in the England camp. And then you have a legend like Gerard, who we know full well Bellingham idolises sort of almost there flirting with him on the touchline after the game. I mean, it, it does feel like a case of Liverpool really feeling like they're confident that they're one of the, the names that stands a, a real big chance of signing them, isn't it? Yeah, it's just so public, isn't it? Like, we've had yeah. Liverpool players before when it's been a drawn-out saga, and you don't really believe it. Like, say, Mbappe, or even the odd Dutch player, just because, oh, Genie Wijnaldum's mates with him, Virgil van Dijk's mates with him, and then those players get asked and they, they talk it up. But it's not been anywhere near this extent where you've got club legends of the same nationality uh, flirting with him so much, or you've got players who are in the camp talking to him and obviously going out socialising with him and that. Like, any club can say, oh, we're doing the same thing. Like we've seen Jack Grealish doing the same sort of things on mm-hmm. Instagram to get him to come to City. But it just feels a little bit more with Liverpool like it did during the World Cup. Like I'm sure after the World Cup finished, all of us were feeling confident, oh, like, surely this is the worst kept secret in football. Liverpool are signing Jude Bellingham. But three months on now, we don't really know what to think. Liverpool finances might not be there if they don't get the, the Champions League football. We saw David Ornstein's piece of The Athletic the other week. But they're doing the hard work, aren't they? They're grinding it out. They're doing their best to try and persuade him that Liverpool is the place for him. And surely there are conversations happening in place. Like You can't tell me. Bellingham's done his little interview on Channel 4 with Steven Gerrard. The cameras go off. Gerrard's not going to him. So you come in, you come in. They're having these little comments to him there. Or he's like talking to um, uh, Henderson or Trent. Like We know um, Henderson played this role in Va- Virgil van Dijk's transfer behind the scenes. Of course, they shared an agent. So Van Dyke was like texting him, asking uh, what's the club like and, you know, getting this real lowdown and what it is like. These players will be doing all they can to persuade Jude Bellingham that Liverpool is the place to be. It's just because it's been going on for so long now and we have reports coming out almost daily saying different things, saying it's Man City leading it one week, it's Real Madrid the next, then Liverpool. You just don't know where the saga is going to go. And it has been 18 months now, pretty much, hasn't it? Of just Jude Bellingham, Jude Bellingham, Jude Bellingham. So you're looking forward to it ending, but it will be a big shock at the same time if he doesn't end up at Liverpool because of all this work that has gone in. You think, how can you wait for the right midfielder, have them talking it up and flirting to this extent if you're then at risk of not getting him? But then the finances come into it. You think of common sense. You play the teams you're up against. It's like, is this something Liverpool can really do? Um, I suppose we're going to have at least another two months of it, if not three. Because, uh, but what you will say about Bellingham it is a credit to him. Like we were saying, watching yesterday, um, the interview, you wouldn't think he's 19. Like he's so level-headed, yeah. and you think it would be so easy for a player older than him to have got caught up in all this talk about his future. And to just be distracted, you know, the form to drop off. We've seen how um, it distracted Jadon Sancho, didn't it, in his last season at Dortmund. And he's not quite at the same levels with Manchester United. But Bellingham just goes from strength to strength. It shows he is this elite talent who will be one of the best players in his position if he keeps on building. Um, you just got to hope that it has a happy conclusion for Liverpool come the summer. Um, but we'll see. I'm sure we're going to get plenty more speculation before we get a resolution one way or the other. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Of course, I mean, 
I mentioned this in the pod last week. Let's face it, Liverpool could shut this all down if they wanted to. You know, that we don't know whether they'll get Champions League football, but they they must be they must have some sort of confidence that they they will be. If not, if not, they're confident of signing. They they must be confident that they will certainly be in his thoughts when he does make a decision. Um, it's almost like you know sitting in class, and I don't know this would never have happened to me, but sitting in class, look at a girl constantly. Everyone saying that you're doing it, like in every post that you put on Instagram, it's never happened to me. And then she ends up getting with like you know another guy that you're not really getting on that well with. So I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, that wouldn't have happened to me. So I, I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine that as a as a scenario. But I, I just can't imagine him not going to Liverpool now because I think the club would look a bit a bit daft, and they they might you know they, they might think that's harsh. But couldn't Liverpool have shut this all down? Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Bellingham said it a few times, hasn't he, that his, his career moves aren't going to be kind of motivated by money. And I, I mean, I suppose any professional footballer could say that, you know, if the future's up in the air. But um, it genuinely seems to be a little bit of a of a truth to it, just the way he's, he's put it across a few times. And I think if it was stuck down to money, then we know Liverpool can't pay the transfer fees that Real Madrid and Man City routinely pay. And, you know, if they were to give him the wages that City and Real Madrid pay, that he'd be up there with Salah as, as one of the highest earners that have ever been at the club. And, you know, that's not the way Liverpool operates. So they must be at least quietly confident that they, they can sell the project in different ways to, to Bellingham. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be coming in and he's going to be, you know, a, an immediate high earner in the, in the Van Dyke brackets, shall we say, or an Allison. Um I think Liverpool have a very cultivated, carefully cultivated wage structure, and he'll come in on a certain amount, and it'll be you know, you, you know, players like Diogo Jota, for example, probably the perfect example. He's proven that if you can, if you can show that you're a star at this club, then you will be rewarded with improved terms and new contracts and all that. So, I don't think Liverpool are concerned that this is just going to come down to money. Um, I think they think that. If they lose out on Jude Bellingham, it'll be because he feels the next five to six or seven years are best here for his career at Real Madrid or at the Etihad. Um, I think given his age, you know, he doesn't turn 20 until June, I think he might be minded to think that he can come to England now in the Premier League and then if, he's, if he performs as everyone expects him to, the his move to Real Madrid will always be there, you know, pretty much every summer, as long as he wants it. So, um, he's got the world on his feet, hasn't he? And, and he can pick and choose at this stage. And it is getting a bit, you know, quite comical with, with the amount that Liverpool are kind of fluttering their eyelashes at him in, in public. He's very good mates with, with Trent, isn't he? Jordan Henderson yeah. certainly take him under, under his wing. And they, can't exactly say, they can't exactly say, can they, that they never fancied him anyway. If, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's you know, it's easy for them to just. Well, it's all innocent, you know. We're England colleagues, and you know, Trent can just say we just wanted to go and see Chris Brown at you know the Manchester Apollo or whatever that was. I think it might have been in London. Um, no one else in the squad fancied Chris Brown. He had to, he had to bring someone in. in well, well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it is interesting, um, but he does genuinely seem to be very. Um, aware of the kind of gravitas, certainly of Henderson. Uh, and Gerard, we know that he, he absolutely loves him, doesn't he? So um, 
you know, agents, Trent, Jordan and Stevie are doing their absolute utmost, aren't they? And we'll see. I think it's difficult. I, I think that there's a lot to be excited for in Liverpool's future, as, as strange as that might sound, given that they've had a bit of a wretched season. I think if they can get this summer right with, you know, a good, sizable investment, something similar to 2018, then they can go again and a bit of a new look Liverpool for the new final few years of Jurgen Klopp's era. And if that is spearheaded by um, Jude Bellingham, then, you know, I, I fancy them to be back where we, we've generally seen them to be in the last five years. I will drop the uh, the homegrown bomb again, and not just because, oh, he's homegrown at the moment. If he goes to Real Madrid uh, or he stays at Borussia Dortmund, he doesn't count as homegrown for Champions League squads because he's um, two years with Birmingham City between the age of 15 and 21. So he has to spend next season at an English club to tick that homegrown quota to be in that box. So that's that affects valuations as well. And that makes you think, well, surely that comes into thinking and you do go to an English club. But we've had this conversation in the office before. If he wasn't English, you wouldn't be thinking Liverpool were in this strong a shout to get him. Um, maybe, as Gorsty mentioned earlier, the wages come into it, like transfer fees. I know we've said when Liverpool got that went on that big spending spree and got Van Dijk, Alisson, Fabinho, it came because they sold Philippe Coutinho. But at 142 million, there was still a hefty figure on top of that when you're signing all those players and Naby Keita as well. It's what you're doing with the wage bill that's giving you more room to manoeuvre. So when you see Firmino moving on, maybe Oxlade Chamberlain, Cater, maybe there is that bit more wiggle room to be able to go and get a Jude Bellingham. Like they still managed to find the big funds to go and get the Darwin Nunes deal done last year. Um, they would have had 75, 80 million, whatever it was, to get Shuameni in if he had uh, didn't have eyes only for Real Madrid. So there's something there for transfer fees that they can work with. And they haven't really been in that position where they've struggled with the transfer fees before. It's just when you talk about an Mbappe or a Sancho, they say we can't compete. Well, why can't they compete with those players? Because they're asking for 350, 400, 500, something ridiculous amounts each week. If you can work it with the wages, there's a chance with Bellingham. He does feel like the type of guy who might look at it and go, well, one title with Liverpool means more than five with Real Madrid or whatever. It just strikes me as that type of lad. Um, just, just sorry, I'm distracted by by Gorsi's dog forcing his way into into the picture. He, he, he's he's often right views on Jude. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's actually showing me his behind, so he's he's obviously that's what he thinks of of Jude. No, no, he's turned around now. Anyway, sorry, that was a distraction. But yeah, I mean, he does strike me as the type of lad who will be happy for Liverpool to build the team around and and seems to appreciate what Gerard did at Liverpool, which wasn't just title after title after title, was it? it was it was winning some big ones and, and becoming a legend for, for it. So, you know what, we'll leave it there, Gorsi. I totally agree with your view that there is plenty of positivity to be had around Liverpool, and if they get it right, um, they'll be back in a big way. So um, thank you for that, and, and let's leave it there. We'll be back on Friday to preview the game against Man City um, and to get our to, to get our teeth back into something, something real. None of this international break nonsense. See you then. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.